0: Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. It's just two of us today. No Emily. She is doing something that I'm sure is making her very happy. She's in Canada watching figure skating. One of her great loves. And if you follow her on Twitter, you know figure skating is a big deal to Emily and she's getting to be there in person. So we can't blame her for not being here. Just Brad and I today. Brad, how you doing?
1: Doing well, doing well. You know, uh, a little jealous of Emily, but hey, we all get to travel once in a while. So it's uh, good for her to get a break and do something that she loves. In Western Minnesota, it's raining today at the end of October, so that's good. A lot of drought in Minnesota and the upper Midwest. So it's, it's good to see that once in a while. We need a lot more, but. It's something.
0: Yeah, uh, we can use plenty of it. There's several counties in the state that are officially natural disaster areas for drought, and as such, have access to certain funds through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and the USDA. So, definitely something to to look out for if you're in certain counties.
1: Yeah, you know, droughts that they're becoming worse and worse. I think this year is actually worse for us here in Morris than what it was last year, because we didn't have the rains in the fall like we normally do. So it's been really difficult. And I hope the farmer's almanac is right. And it predicts a lot of snow that we'll need. So even though I'm sure some people won't don't want a lot of snow, but I think we need it. Otherwise, it's going to been tough. You know, side note, I've been talking with some uh, extension uh, educators as well. And there are co-ops uh, and farmers in southern minnesota that are not putting on anhydrous ammonia because they're breaking their shovels and breaking their equipment in the fields because it's so hard and dry so equipment is breaking that's how dry it is that is unheard of so it's uh if you're out in the field stay safe definitely for fall tillage because it can be a challenge
0: yeah that's uh that's a huge challenge and unfortunately, something that we're just going to deal with more and more. And yes, we do need that snow this winter to kind of recharge everything that comes with its own set of challenges, having all that snow and cold. And we are getting to winter. And whether or not we're ready for it, it's it's getting here and it's getting here quickly. Uh, we're running out of time to get prepared for winter. So I think today's a great day to go over a little review, a little random thoughts we have about getting ready for winter and what you need to do to get the cows ready. Of course, Bradley is uh, uniquely positioned to talk about this because he puts his dairy cows outside for the winter, which is not something you see very often, but it's definitely possible if you do the right things. What's on your mind, Brad, as you get things ready uh, for winter and making sure the cows are comfortable?
1: Well, some of the things are trying to figure out where are we going to put the cows and where are we going to put the heifers? You know, I think we've been starting to look at different places uh, to put the dairy heifers this winter. You know, and that's that's one thing to think about, too, because there's a lot of aspects instead of just saying, oh, we'll we'll put them there. You know, we have to think about where there's water. You know, uh, we have heated waters in some of our pastures. I have to think about environmental circumstances, you don't, because of what happens in the spring, if we put these animals in a certain place, will we have runoff in the spring, which we don't want at all. So we have to take that into consideration. Where are we going to feed is another uh, issue. So we've been tossing around some ideas here. One thing that I've been doing now with our cows, we're sort of letting them hammer a pasture and we're feeding out there so we can restore that next spring. So there's aspects uh, when we think about, for us, outwintering, you know, how can I have pasture renovation? And that's one way is I've concentrated the cows and manure on one pasture to sort of reinvigorate that next year. It's a a pasture that's needed some help. Uh, For those of you that might know, we haven't been grazing cows for Probably a month here in Morris because of lack of rain and drought. So we were done about September 28th or something, is about when we were done grazing. So it's been a challenge for us, but now we're in full winter gear because it is the end of October and it can, well, it already has snowed out here in, in Morris and in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So winter could come at any time.
0: It's where we're at. I mean, and and getting ready now saves you time later. Make sure you don't have things you got to do later. We've talked a lot about outwintering cows and their biggest requirements. And we're going to review that just quick. And then we're going to get to some of the other things that Brad mentioned. First of all, keeping cows comfortable in the winter, the number one is a windbreak. Keeping them out of the wind is massive. It reduces the amount of calories they need to stay warm It's much more comfortable, all those things. After that, you got to keep them dry and have them have a place to to lay down, preferably behind that windbreak. And that's in the form of a a nice bedded pack that you start relatively early so it's ready to go when the cows need it. After that, Bradley already mentioned water. We're going to talk more on that in a second. And then food. I mean, you got to feed them. You got to know that when it gets colder, they got to eat more to stay uh, and maintain that body condition and not need, uh, not lose body condition trying to stay warm. Uh, that rule of thumb, uh, and I don't know if it's the same for the dairy side. So Bradley can correct me on the dairy side, but on the beef side, for every degree below 32 degrees, we feed 1% more. And that takes into account wind chill. So if you've got a ton of wind and the cows are in it, you have to account for the wind chill as well. So the the example that I've been using is if it's 32 degrees one day and you're feeding 30 pounds of hay, and then it's 22 degrees the next day, you've got uh, 10% more that you have to feed. So you should be thir- feeding 33 pounds of hay when it's 22 degrees out. So that's the rule of thumb. Is that the same on the dairy side, Brad?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, as far as uh, nutrient requirements, it's it's maybe a little bit more for a milking cow because you have production factors going on versus a dairy heifer but you know i think a, for us a good a good rule of thumb is to you know let the cows tell us too so we we tend to watch you know we we feed to what their requirements will be but you know if it's colder and it's like well maybe the cows are eating a little bit more then we just keep uh, you know we increase it maybe five percent the next day we kind of watch the cows let them let, us, let them tell us what, what they're eating. Uh, we certainly don't want to, you know, starve them in the wintertime because it's uh, pretty cold. So that's, that's a good rule of thumb that that we do, too, uh, is, is let the cows tell us. And I think everybody, I hope everybody would agree with that.
0: Absolutely. You know, calling bunks, looking at the cows, making sure you're on point. You know, all the things we've talked about in the past that make it easier for that process is having uniform and consistent body condition across the group, which comes down to bunk space, having two feet per head so everyone can eat at the same time. Some of the things that we haven't really dug into in the past have been the the kind of the hierarchy of determines where you put cows. And, and Brad was mentioning the one that I think is almost always the limiting factor, and that's water, especially in the winter, water that won't freeze, to be specific. It's expensive. That's the first thing. Having water lines that won't freeze, having waters that won't freeze, all of that. But what what other challenges? I mean, you can comment on how expensive it is too. But what other challenges are there with water?
1: You know, one of the big things is is having enough water access for for animals. You know, it's it's hard, it's difficult to put out a lot of heated waters because of you know lots of expense, uh, you name it. So. Water access is very important to us, and we try to have larger, we, we have Richie water tanks, heated water tanks in, our, in some of our areas to allow uh, enough access for cows uh, and heifers in, in areas. We can't stress water enough. That is probably the number one factor that we think about when we're trying to put animals for wintertime is where do they get water that's the number one thing and it's, it's not easy. You know, it's uh, it, those, those are big expenses when we're, we're talking about waters.
0: Well, and one of the things that I see with water a, a lot is that because it's expensive to run those lines and to have that, that heated waterer, a lot of times that heated waterer is up by the barn away from feed the windbreak, and the bedding, which can be a problem in my mind. It's not so bad for cows to get exercise. It's not that's not a problem most of the time, but when I think about the most comfortable cows in the winter, especially in a dry lot setting, they have a very nice triangle of of concrete uh, to keep dry and and clean between the bedding, the feed, and the water, and the bedding being behind the windbreak, and that little triangle where they don't ha- they can still walk between them, but they don't have to walk miles for water. is a big difference
1: yeah i agree joe we we have things in separate areas so the the water is away from the feed and and all the feed and the water are away from the bedding so there's separate areas for that otherwise you get you know inevitable the, the water freezes they make you know cows make messes with water and it starts to chunk up around the water and the feed bunks get frozen and you know, there's just a lot of aspects to think about. and it's you know it's kind of like our grazing dairy. It's the uh, things happen on a daily basis sometimes depending on the weather,
0: yeah, I mean, it can change in a hurry and cows make messes, and that's that's another big piece of this. you know, figuring out how to feed is huge, especially if you have beef cattle and a day job. I mean it's so <laughs> different when you know you've gotta you've gotta do chores in the dark. You know, probably starting a month ago, you're doing chars in the dark because of the, the way things have changed with the sunlight. And the time is a huge factor. You know, round bale feeders become a big piece of this. And one of the big things I love to see with a round bale feeder is, first of all, having enough space for everyone to eat, uh, so they're not crowded, and you don't have your boss cows standing around the round bale feeder kicking your smaller cows. Or if you're mixing age groups, your younger and smaller cows off the feeder where they stay skinny and your fat cows stay fat. And then like Brad alluded to, cows love to make a mess. If you give them access 24 seven to that round bale feeder, uh, they're using a lot of it just to play with and mess with and it turns into bedding. And we all know the expense of hay at this point, you, you gotta be careful how you're using your hay. And so there's a, there's a couple different strategies to, to work on that. Um, but the first step is making sure everyone has enough space to eat at the same time. And then we talk about limited access. And there's a lot of different strategies there. The data will tell you that you should only give cows between four and six hours a day access to that round bale feeder, if everyone can eat at the same time. For me, in the normal work day, it's kind of hard to do if you have a day job. So eight hours or whenever you leave in the morning, give them access, whenever you come back at night, kick them out. All of that kind of stuff is is the way that I try to, to think about that.
1: Yeah, you know, round bale feeders are always tough in the wintertime, Joe. It's 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 never easy. And and I debate whether we should have them or not, because it's, you know, feed is expensive, cows do waste some, but for us it may provide good fertility. In some regards, it provides bedding. Uh, for those animals, not, you know, very limited numbers, but that's a tough one, you know, and some years we we use round bale feeders, some years we don't. Um, yeah, that's a tough one in the winter. I know a lot of people like them and they're convenient, but I don't know. Sometimes I figure they've waste 25 to 30% of the hay and if hay is expensive because of droughts, well, I don't know if we can be wasting that much hay. But but I I don't know everything. Cost is a big factor in a lot of the decisions that we make uh, in the winter time too.
0: Always and and it's the most expensive piece of keeping a cow year round is feeding them in the winter if they're a grazing animal. Yeah, Brad, you're you're spot on. It it is if you give them twenty four hour access, it's twenty five to thirty percent of that bale gone, just yeah. gone, and uh, on the ground. Now is it. 100% wasted if you're calling it bedding or Bradley likes to say that it's also uh, soil fertility. Yeah, soil fertility. <laughs> right. So there's there's other benefits to it. But if we're concerned about the price of hay, 25 to 30% is not going in that cow. So right. you got to find a strategy for that. Now, if you give them limited access in an eight to 12 hour window and they kick them out the rest of the time, you're still going to have some waste, but it's only going to be about 10% compared to that 25 to 30. So that's one thing I like to harp on. The other thing is storing hay, which I think gets to be kind of tricky in the winter for a lot of people. And it ends up outside a lot. What, what do you guys do with your hay in the, in the winter, Bread? Where is it stored?
1: Uh, some of it is is stored inside. Well, I shouldn't say inside a barn, but it's under a kind of a hay shed. It's, it's got a roof on top of it, you know, an old pole barn that a lot of people might have in in the Midwest. So we, we do store some under that. Otherwise, we do store some outside. We've started to do a lot of net wrapping in our bales to help with, you know, mold and moisture, things like that. We, we can't put everything uh, underneath a roof. It's kind of both places.
0: Well, I mean, that's how it, it works for almost everyone, you know. And, you know, hopefully you put the stuff you're going to feed first outside so you can get rid of it and keep the stuff under the roof as long as possible. Right. and. and yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is that when we look at if you're gonna feed a round bale feeder 24-7 and lose 25% of your hay there, and then you're gonna make a six-foot round bale and store it outside. And let's say the outer six inches gets kind of spoiled, and we're gonna call that waste. Well, the outer six inches contains 25% of the hay in that bale. So now between the two sources of waste, you've wasted 50% of that bale. 50 percent waste with the hay prices that's basically just go ahead and double the whatever you paid for the price of your bales and that's that hurts a lot so (laughs) uh, i think it's a good thing to think about as you're going into winter how am i going to use that hay efficiently
1: yeah Yeah, and that's you know feed inventory is a big thing to to really look at right now you know we're at the end of October and you certainly don't want to run out uh, come mid middle of February and we're still in winter or March or or whatever it might be so I think a big thing that that we look at now is is our feed inventory as well and you know how can we stretch the feed inventory will we have to purchase a little bit of hay do we have enough corn silage haylage all of that on site so we you know we we really look at our feed inventories in the fall and try and Uh, gauge what what we might need and if we'll be able to make it uh, through most of the winter without having to do that so it's um it's it's always a good guessing game we have plenty of corn silage on site so that's what we we feed a lot of corn silage in the winter time so we have a lot of corn silage here so we'll, we'll be able to get through a lot of the winter on a lot of our corn silage
0: And I guess it kind of varies from year to year, but in general, if you take inventory now and then you purchase now because you think you're going to be short, is that better? Prices are going to probably be much better than waiting until everyone's looking because they found out they're short late in the game. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, usually we've tried to play those uh, feed games uh, a lot, you know, it's like, Oh, well maybe we should wait. It'll be cheaper. Maybe we should or buy it now. And it's, going to be you know cheaper now than what it will so uh, you know what we've really found is it's pretty much the same price all the way through the winter it's not going to change much at all the inventory is there now so you know if if you need some you probably should get it now versus running out in the middle of the winter and then you're really trying to scramble and, and find expensive hay so it's uh it's not easy. Yeah, difficult.
0: So there was a, a couple of other things that Brad mentioned on how to decide where to put animals. And one of those was runoff in the spring, looking ahead to spring. And, and then also pasture renovation. So two things looking ahead to spring. And I've got one that I think about on my end, uh, looking ahead to the spring. But let's talk about those two, Brad, like gradient uh, or of that pasture and proximity to water are two of the things that matter most for runoff. Doesn't that kind of dictate everything every year? So are there just certain pastures that are just off limits? They come off the table no matter what.
1: You're right. Some of the pastures that we have, they're just off limits. Uh, they just won't work. You think about it from a spring runoff perspective. We we just don't don't even think about those pastures. So that's but but we do, and and I think we try to be good stewards here, and we have an image here as well, you know, and and people look up to us to to provide that information to them. So that's a big thing that we we think about too is, and, and it's not really where can we put the cows today or what it's gonna look like in November and December when the ground is hard. It's what's gonna happen in March or April when the ground is thawing and it's raining. Those are the things that we have to, to consider even four to five months from now. So it's a big thing uh, that's probably at the forefront of our mind uh, as well is environmentally you know some of our pastures are rolling and some are flat so we uh, some of them are just off limits and we have a a, you know a a river that runs through our research center so we're pretty cognizant of not trying to put animals close to the river for runoff purposes so I think that's that's one thing that even in the upper Midwest, we're going to have to consider even more as environmental issues. You know, we might not think of that, but they're being looked at more and more and more. So it's one of the things that uh, we're thinking about now, especially when we're trying to decide where we're going to put these uh, heifers and uh, for for the wintertime. And we're actually going to change a spot. We're, we're um, going to some new spots because of you know, maybe potential less runoff, you you name it. So it's, uh, yeah.
0: I'm interested in the pasture renovation side of this. You're heavily grazing those areas, right? To get them really chewed down. Are you gonna leave cows on those areas all winter or are you just grazing them hard now? If you were to leave them out there all winter, would that really affect
1: how well you can bring that pasture back? Yeah, I think so. The, the, the pasture that we're sort of renovating now, we're going to pull them off in a couple of weeks um, and maybe move them to the barn. The problem is we leave them out there all winter. It's just going to have a lot of manure, feed waste, you name it. And then it becomes too thick in the springtime. So it if we leave them too long, then it creates issues in April and May when we want to go out and seed, seed the pasture and, and maybe renovate it. So, yeah, we, we think about that and not keeping them on the same ground too long. Um, so they're gonna move into the barn in a couple of weeks. That's good to know. I was wondering,
0: I'm sure it depends on how many animals and how much space and all of that, but all winter's a long time for them to really <laughs> dig up everything and deposit a ton
1: of manure and really get it tear, torn
0: up, especially around the water.
1: If you came out here now, you'd look at it and go, "Whoa, oh, maybe you should probably pull those cows off today. <laughs> Uh, it, there there's a lot of stuff out there but uh, it's you know the, the ground is still soft and I think it, it's providing some good nutrients you know that this is a pasture that has thistles and really hasn't had good productive grass growth uh, and you know I, I I did some soil sampling and this was probably the worst one of the worst pastures that needed a little extra nutrients to to help with spring grass growth so that's where we've decided to go to and there's a few other pastures that need some help but i can't do every one all the time there's
0: only so much time and so much money
1: and so many cows
0: so exactly so one of the things that i think about when we're talking about thinking ahead to spring and, and this probably doesn't apply to brad and the dairies as much because of some of the infrastructure they have but i think about spring scours when we're talking about calving in the spring especially with our beef animals. Choosing where you put your cows in the winter and and then where you're going to calve has to be planned out. Um, If you're going to calve in the pasture downhill from where all the cows spent all winter, it's probably not a great idea. You got to flip that around because all of that runoff, all of those pathogens that have been sitting and building up all winter are going to run right down into your calving pasture and you're going to have issues. The same thing applies to dry lots. If you have a calving lot that you're going to calve in, it's tempting to use that space to keep cows in all winter. But if you try to calve in that lot, you're going to have major scours issues. Maybe not the very first year you do it, but if you do that more than a year in a row, you're going to have major issues, huge death loss, huge morbidity as well. So that's the other thing I think about thinking ahead to spring is where are you going to calve? Mm-hmm. and how am I going to prevent myself from screwing things up for future me when I get to spring calving? So Bradley, one of the other things that I think about in the winter is age groups. You've already said that you split your heifers and I think that makes sense. A lot of people do that and that's pretty well understood. Do you split any other age groups when you overwinter?
1: We we don't. We We kind of have two groups of heifers, kind of that young age, six to 12 months and then kind of 14 to 18 months, I guess we have a, a Springer group too. So we do split them because feed requirements are a little bit different. And when you think about it from a space requirement too, you know, competition, old heifers will pick on the younger ones. So that's probably the biggest reason why we we do that is to prevent competition. You know, it, if, if you have animals that are not of the same age together, they will have competition and the younger ones are going to lose out and they're going to be the ones that don't look so good. You're going to walk out there and they're going, to whoa, these kind of skinny heifers aren't growing. What's going on? And it really has to do about competition. So I think having some different age groups is a positive to keeping uh, animals healthy in the wintertime. That's, that's a, a, a big one the heifers will go backwards really fast if you aren't watching them and that you think they're eating but they're not really so it's and and we've seen that in even within the group you know if we have a group of, of 50 heifers that are all 6 to 9 months of age you know maybe we got to watch those small ones even in in a younger group because there can be competition there too so it's it's not easy it's it's not just about throwing animals in a group together and uh, hopefully they're going to make it. That's that's not it at all. So winter is winter is probably way more challenging with this kind of stuff than than the summertime is because there's plenty of grass and you know lots of feed and everybody's happy on pasture. Well, the winter is a totally different time.
0: Yeah, space is is what it comes down to. If if you're going to mix age groups, so I think every a lot of people are really good about pulling out. The younger animals so like if you're working on a bee place your replacements stay separate right you don't put your replacements in with the whole group usually the animal i worry about the most is the second calf heifer that animal is still growing hat is raising a calf and and there's a lot going on with that animal and she's still quite a bit smaller than a mature cow the the first and second calf heifers those are the animals that that need the most care and and what i what i think is the solution is if you're gonna mix age groups, you have to do everything else perfectly. You got to do a big bedded pack where everyone has space at 100 square feet per animal, got to have plenty of water so you don't have a boss cow guarding the water and keeping the heifers off the water. Plenty of bunk space at two feet per head at the minimum, and then a big enough windbreak to cover everybody so no one gets pushed off the windbreak because you know who that's going to be. Exactly. So if you're going to mix age groups, everything else has to be immaculate. And and that's the incentive to if you're short on space, you have to make it work by creating a bigger windbreak, a bigger bedded pack, more water, more bunk space, or you just got to have less animals to make it work. And that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. A lot of things to think about splitting age groups. Great idea. I think we've covered plenty for today, and we stayed off some of the topics that we usually harp on when we're talking about getting ready for winter. So, uh, I'll include links to some of our past discussions. We'll just add to that discussion with what we talked about today. Anything else, Bradley?
1: No, I think just you know, watch your animals. Uh, they'll they'll tell you what they need in the winter time, and that's probably the main the main thing that we try and focus on is just watch the animals.
0: Sounds good. Take your direction from your animals if you have. Comments, questions, scaling rebuttals to today's episode, please email us, themoosroom at umn.edu, that's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu, follow us on Twitter at umnmoosroom and at safety. find Bradley on Instagram at umnwcrocdairy, check out our website extension.umn.edu, You can even call us if you want, 612-624-3610. Leave a voicemail. We'll answer your question potentially live on the air. I think that's all the ways you can get a hold of us. So please reach out if you have questions. Thank you for listening. Catch you guys next week.
1: Bye. Bye. Talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about.
0: Exactly. There's no boss here today. Let's do what we want.